great. Well, it's so good to be able to open God's Word up together this morning. Um, as I come to share the scripture with you that I, I wanted to focus on this morning, I was just thinking, because it kind of sprung out of last week. God put a scripture on my heart last week, and it's been stayed with me through this week. Um, but I had this thought after I'd focused on this scripture last week. Um, I remember when my brother first moved to Australia, um, and uh, in those early days, he retained a strong British accent. And uh, we would FaceTime and, and, and phone call uh, and things like that. And when you spoke to him in those early days, uh, not only did he still have his strong British accent, but crisps were still called crisps, trousers were still called trousers, and good was still good. Uh, if you were devastated, you were devastated. Christmas was cri- Christmas, and peppers were peppers. But after a while, we'd chat, and we started to notice as a family, his accent started changing. Weird things started happening. All of a sudden, crisps became chips. Trousers were pants. Good was rip snorter. Devastated became devo. Christmas was Chrissy. And peppers were capsicums. Now, there was a way of talking that we noticed, a language that he'd almost subconsciously adopted because of the environment that he was in. And the thought that crossed my mind after the service last week was, I think church is a little bit like that. You get saved or you grow up in church and you adopt a way of talking. And there are certain little phrases that we have and there are certain sayings that we have that we start to use because everyone else uses it. And it's almost like it's a language in itself. And yet when my brother would say something like when we had a barbecue, do you want any capsicums? I would stop him and say, what do you, what? Pardon? Capsicum? What do, you, what do you mean by that? What's a capsicum? What's that mean? Or other phrases. And last week, the scripture that God put on my heart was Hebrews 4, verse 16, which says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, in our time of need. And last week, I became aware that this phrase was on my heart, and I kept talking and even singing about the need to draw near to the throne of of grace. Now that's a solid Christian uh, term or saying or phrase that we would often hear many times in church about drawing near to the throne of grace. And as I drove home afterwards, I thought to myself, I wonder at times how many people sit there and think to themselves, what does that actually really and practically mean? Because we'll say something, we need to draw near to the throne of grace. But Why do we need to draw near to the throne of grace? What can we expect when we do draw near the throne of grace? And how do we draw near to the throne of grace? And a little like my brother would stop me and say, what? What do you mean by that? I just want to kind of stop at this scripture that God gave me in the service last week. I just want to stop and just talk about what, why, and how. I want us to unpack it. See, at its heart, what we're talking about this morning is coming before God. It's about coming into the presence of God. Some scriptures use the phrase, draw near. Other versions use the phrase, let us come. But it was essentially first used as a priestly expression in the Old Testament about their approach. You'll find it in Leviticus, about their approach to God. So what we're talking about this morning at its heart, at its core, is about approaching the throne of God in prayer and in worship. 
And I want to remind you, I'm sure many of you will know this, but in the Old Testament, an example being Leviticus 21, there was only certain individuals who had the privilege of access into the presence of God. And so the priests there had that privilege of access and only at certain times. But now we sit here this morning and every son and daughter of God has the priestly privilege of access to God. The Amplified Version actually says, Therefore let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. I wonder, do you ever sit in church and think to yourself how privileged you are? When you're at home... And you go to spend time with God. Do you ever just sit and think, I'm so privileged to have this access to God. It's free access. That we are all invited. We can all draw near to God in worship and in prayer. But why do we need to draw near? Well, I'd like to ask you a question this morning. How many people need mercy? How many people need grace? And how many people need help? And how many people know times of need in their life? Every one of us. And the throne of grace, the Bible simply teaches us, is the place where we receive mercy, we find grace to help in our time of need. There isn't a person in this room who does not need mercy, grace, and help. And this exhortation to draw near to the throne of grace is actually written in the present tense. It means that continually in our life, we need to be drawing near to God in prayer and in worship. We need to be reaching forwards towards him. I need to do this every day. I need to not just be occasional about coming before this throne of grace. It's not about just coming there when life gets real intense. You know, the the 999 kind of God on speed dial kind of thing, like now I need to go to the throne of grace. But it's actually talking about meaning that we continually need to draw near to the throne of grace. Because sometimes we try and handle stuff in our own energy, in our own strength. Sometimes we're just coming and approaching God when it's getting intense. But mercy and grace and help are not occasional needs in my life. They are continual needs. And so if I don't have a personal devotional life, if, if we don't have a personal prayer life, a worship life, a, a way of living whereby we're coming to Christ in our daily lives and reaching forward towards him, actually perhaps what we really need is a revelation of our need. Of actually just how much we need Jesus. Because actually that that prayer, that that worship, that reaching for him in my everyday life towards him and approaching him and drawing near to him are the simplest evidence of the fact that I understand or we understand that we need him and that we're dependent upon him. And so that's why we need to draw near. But I also want to ask, what can we expect when we draw near? Well, our expectation, you'll be surprised to know, is mercy grace, and help. I find those things at the throne. I find those things by approaching God and drawing near to God and coming into his presence in prayer and in worship. Now, if you'd have lived in these days when this was first written and someone had begun talking to you about thrones, it would have conjured up a very different thought process. 
Because especially in these kind of days, the throne of a king was a forbidden place. It was, it was a place of sovereign authority and power, justice and judgment. To entertain the idea that the throne would possibly be a place of sympathy or, or understanding would have been a foreign concept. The idea that you could confidently and boldly approach a throne wasn't even entertained. Especially if you just decided that you needed to go. You would be invited to go. You couldn't just decide, I need to go to that throne. It wasn't an open invitation to the throne, but that's what we're talking about here. A welcome, open invitation to every child of God. In those days, if you weren't invited and you approached the king, if the king did not hold out his scepter, you were... If you spoke when you shouldn't have spoke or you spoke out of turn... But here we're talking about God's throne being a throne of grace upon which sits one who in Jesus who is fully God and yet fully man. A king of infinite sovereign power and authority, judgment and justice, who one who judges and rules absolute perfection on one hand, yet sitting upon that very same throne is a man with complete understanding and empathy and sympathy and kindness and love towards me and you who wants to spend time with us. You can imagine in those days to begin to hear that Jesus is this kind of king would have begun to have been... Yes, the Bible tells us God's throne is a throne of righteousness and justice and mercy and truth, Psalm 89. But it's a throne of grace where God says, I want you to know me for my kindness. To the lost sinner, it's a throne of judgment. But to the one who loves Jesus, it's a throne of grace. Where we are welcomed. Where we are privileged to be able to come and receive mercy and find Grace. It's not that grace is lost. It's that I have to understand to, to experience it and know it in my everyday life. I have to move towards God to find it. To experience it. I have to draw near to him in prayer and in worship. I find it at his throne. I find it in his presence. Mercy is there, but I must move towards him. I must begin to draw near to him to receive it. I must take what is available. The message version says this. Let us walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. I've done a few word studies uh, this week um, in preparation for this. And just try to go through and just say, God, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And so I want to unpack a few meanings of these words that we, we find in Hebrews 4 here. The first word is the word grace. You'd have, some of you would have heard this before, charis. It means it's God's unmerited favor and his supernatural enablement and empowerment. Uh, can I just ask this morning, how many people here are in need of God's favor, supernatural enablement and empowerment? Now, yes, for the forgiveness of our sins, absolutely for the forgiveness of our sins. I'll come back to that moment. But also in our everyday lives that we might know his favor upon us. We might know his supernatural enabling and empowering in our everyday life. It is a gracious help that none of us deserve. I'll come back to that in a moment. 
It's also where I receive mercy, Elios. It's the, manif- it's the place where the manifestation of compassion for one who is suffering so great that it moves the compassionate one to help. It assumes need on the part of those who receive it and sufficient resources to meet the need on the part of those who show it. Now, in relation to my sin, we all sin every day. I think we'd all acknowledge that. And so the simplest explanation I ever really heard was this, that grace is getting what we don't deserve, while mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I should have put that up there, actually, because people sometimes say, what's it is? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve this kindness, this love, this forgiveness. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's, it's actually, I'm deserving of judgment, but in God's mercy, he holds that back and extends to me grace, what I do not deserve. And I need that in my everyday life as well. I also need this grace in my everyday life that we talked about, this favor and enabling and empowering. And there are times in our life and situations in our life that we come to where we just cry, Lord, have mercy. I mean, I don't really know at the moment. I do know because there's a lot of prayer points out there, but there's not a lot else at times I feel I can pray over Afghanistan at the minute, except Lord, have mercy. Have compassion. On the suffering that's, that's going on. that just Friends, when you see babies being thrown over barbed wire and the, and the fear in the eyes of the people, it's hard to even know how to pray. But Lord, have mercy. God, have compassion. And, and how do I? I have to come to his throne. That's where I receive that, where that mercy begins to operate. Have mercy for the one who suffers. And as God begins to hear that cry, it stirs him. In actual fact, this word mercy means, it was a word that was used in those times to mean that as the one who hears the cry, as they begin to hear the cry of those who are suffering, they run to meet the need. Friends, as we come in our own lives and cry mercy and for others, what a beautiful picture that as I come to that throne, Jesus hears and runs to meet the need. It it moves him when we come. It's where we receive and where we find this mercy and this grace. And Hebrew says this incredible, amazing help is found at the throne in the presence of God. And this word blessed me so much. That word for help is a word, bothia, B-O-E-T-H-E-I-A. And it means what I just said. It means to cry and to run. And that's exactly what it is. It's a picture of someone who appearing, who upon hearing a cry for help, runs to offer help, to meet the need. So as I begin to pray and worship, and there's those circumstances and those situations where we're just saying, God, help. I don't know what else to pray about this. Those circumstances in your life that you're praying for right now and you think, I don't know what to pray. And all you can cry is help. What a thought that as you move to Jesus with that cry in your heart in prayer and worship, he hears and he starts running towards you. And the Bible says that it is help in time of need. That literally means this, that there is a help that comes from the throne that is released to you at the right time. That time of need, eukairos, means at the good time, at the opportune time, at the favorable or right time. It means there is a well-timed help 
It means there is a sense of time which is well suited for something in that moment. Does anyone here ever struggle with the feeling that they feel like God is being slow? (laughs) You're praying about something and you just feel like God is being slow. But what an encouragement that we read in Hebrews 4 that basically is this, that he knows best. And he knows how best to help us. And when we're saying, God, I just wish you'd hurry up. And we think that God is not doing what we want him to do on the, in the time scale we want him to do it. And we think about, man, I don't even feel like I can keep drawing near. All I can say to you, friends, is keep on approaching the throne of grace. Don't give up coming in worship and prayer because there is a right moment. There is a right time when God will move. Now, I can't promise you it will always look like you want it to look like. I can't promise that it's always I've prayed for this and it's exactly this. But I do believe Romans 8, 28 with all my heart. That in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And that what God is asking of us is actually to trust his timetable and to trust his care. To trust that he knows what is best and when is best. I recently read a quote that simply said this. Let God watch the clock. Hebrews 4 verse 16 in the Amplified Version says, tells us it's in God's presence where we find his amazing grace to help in time of need. An appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. And this word for help, I do get excited when I study the word of God. And when I study this this morning, this, this word for help just is amazing because actually it's, it's a nautical term. And we only find it used in one other place in the Bible, this word bothia. It only appears one other time in the Bible. And the one other time it appears in in Acts chapter 27, which is in relation to when Paul is on the boat that is in the midst of a storm. And it's used there. And so I just want to share that with you here, right? It says Acts 27 verse 17. And it's in the context of the ropes that the sailors used to pass under the ship in the midst of the storm. The men hoisted it aboard the ship, the lifeboat. Then they passed ropes, Bothia, uh, under the ship itself to hold it together. They Bothiaed it. They passed ropes underneath it to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cyrus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. This process of passing ropes under a ship was to bothia a ship. It's what's called frapping. Okay, now to frap is a nautical term, which means in the midst of a storm, sailors would wrap cables around a ship's hull and they would pull them tightly together. Now, what is the point? The point is this, that when the ship was being battered by the storms of life, something began to happen that caused the ship to be held together when it felt like it was going to fall apart and was able to withstand the wind and the waves. And this is the very picture that is inserted into Hebrews 4 verse uh, 16 uh, for us here. And it's beautiful because the emphasis is this. When a storm hits in our life, 
An unexpected storm. When I'm feeling battered by the wind and the waves, where do I go? When I feel like things are falling apart or I'm falling apart or this circumstance, this situation is falling apart. When I feel like things are in danger of coming apart at the seams, where do I go? When we say, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get through this, what or who is going to hold me together, where do we go? Friends, we approach the throne of grace. We draw near to Jesus in prayer and in worship and Jesus wraps around us and he holds us together. He is the only one that stops us falling apart in the storms of life. He supports us and we're able to withstand the storm because he is holding me together. He is keeping me together. So why do we need to come? What do we expect when we come? And lastly, how do we come? How do we draw near to this throne of grace? Well, firstly, I want to say it's got to be humbly because he's a king. He's a king upon his throne. It was Charles Spurgeon who said that praise and worship are, quote, an entrance into the courts of the royalty. Uh, Prayer and worship are an entrance into the courts of the royalty of heaven. Where we find ourselves, he said, in the presence of an illustrious majesty. You know, naturally, if any of us were invited to approach earthly royalty, and some of you may have been at some time in your life, You would seek to honor them in how you came before them. You would be mindful of, am I coming in an honoring and reverent way? Here we're talking, friends, about being invited to a throne upon which the one who sits is the highest level of royalty there is. Incomparable in his majesty to earthly royalty. We're talking about, the Bible says, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're talking about the most holy of all kings. And so how I approach it has to be that as I come to that throne in prayer and in worship, I have to come with reverence, humility, and honor. They have to be the way I approach him. James 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It has to be a place where I have to be willing to, to surrender. No one would dare go before an earthly throne and begin to say, I think you should do it this way and this way and this way and begin to dictate to the king or queen who sits upon it. An expression of our humility before the throne is to surrender, that even as we bring our requests, it's to be on our face before the king and allow him to do what he needs to do. We bring our requests and we just lay them at his feet. It's where we pour out our hearts. I'm coming back to them in a moment. And acknowledge that he's God. Secondly, is joyfully. The favor that I've already spoken of us upon our life. The honor of being welcomed to the throne. To be in his presence. The fact that the one who sits upon it had every right to drive me away from his presence forever. But instead is welcoming me to come near the privilege that's upon me, thankfulness 
for his mercy and grace and help have to be the appropriate response, the appropriate way to approach the throne. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And thirdly, and this is where I'm going to finish up, confidently. Hebrews 4 verse 16, we've already said it there. Let us approach his throne. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some versions use the word boldly. The result of that confidence and that boldness has to be an expectancy. Because there's a promised mercy, there's a promised grace, there's a promised help. And so if I come in the right way, I, I come expectantly because of what he's promised. But this word confident or bold, it's a, it's a word called pahesia. And it means to come before the throne with freedom of speech. In ancient Greece, it was actually used to describe a citizen who was invited to the town assembly and said, speak freely. Speak all that you want to say with there being no danger that you're going to say the wrong thing. Express all that's upon your heart. That, that right that rested upon that citizen was only a right of them. Slaves never had the same right. Only free people had the right to speak with that freedom before the town assembly. And that's the exact word that we find used here in Hebrews. It means this, every son and daughter of God has the full right and freedom to approach the throne. And as you come, you come with this confidence, literally meaning with the freedom to say and speak all things, to speak openly before the throne of grace. It means to speak without hesitation or inhibition. It doesn't mean that I come before the throne with a well-structured, perfectly worded prayer. The essence of it is a heart thing. It means come and say all that's upon your heart. Come and pour out your heart. Spurgeon says that if I come before a throne of grace, the faults of my prayer will be overlooked. I wrote in my notes, it's not a throne of etiquette. It's a throne of grace. Pour out your heart. Number two, he said, if I come before a throne of grace, the faults of the petitioner himself shall not prevent the success of his prayer. Isn't that encouraging? Number three, if I come before a throne of grace, the desires of the pleader will be interpreted. Oh, when I can't even find the words, I'm communicating with the very one who says, I know what you're saying. I know what you need. And if I come before a throne of grace, all the wants of those who come to it will be supplied. See, the point is this. Jesus wants us to know whenever we draw near to his throne in prayer and worship, his throne, his presence is a place where he wants you to be totally open and honest. Not my well-polished prayers, but Jesus is just saying this. I want you to come and pour out your heart. You're free to say it all. Speak it all. Listen, friends, the truth of the matter is there ain't one thing you're going to say that's going to shock or surprise him. Some people, you know, naturally in our natural relationships, if we don't feel we have that freedom, we are res reserved, we are hesitant and timid or even fearful because we're worried we might say something wrong or it's not a safe environment to say it in. And yet Jesus is saying, come in the confidence 
of being able to pour out your heart to me. If I think in any earthly relationship that, that if I feel about that relationship somehow hesitant or reserved or timid or fearful or worried that what I might say something could go wrong or compromise my relationship. I'll always be holding back. There'll never be an unrestrained outpouring of my heart because you can't pour it out in the fullest confidence if you don't feel able to really say and be and do those things. If someone's fearful or or reserved, they often are quiet. They will often clam up. I've done that myself in circumstances. We will go in ourselves. But if someone, we really fully trust them, if we really have total confidence in them, this outpouring begins to happen. And that's the very point that God is saying. God is saying, I want you, and I want to say this reverently, God is saying, I want you to have an outspoken confidence in my presence. God said, I don't want any child of mine to come before me feeling like they've got to hold back or filter or limit what they need to say from their heart. Now, I'm not giving us free license to be irreverent in the presence of God because I've already said we've got to come humbly. So it's not about being blasé in the presence of God. I'm saying when there's stuff like, God's just saying, just pour out your heart. It's not irreverent, I don't think. To say this, that the throne is absolutely a place of power and authority. And yet in a reverent sense, what Jesus is saying to us is it's a safe place. Where one who sits upon it has an empathy and an understanding as we'll look at these last couple of closing scriptures. For what's going on. It's like that closest friend. Jesus saying, let me be that closest friend. Come before me with a boldness and an honesty. In what you want to say. Don't shy away from pouring out your heart. Why? Because Hebrews 4 verse 15 says. And this is the end. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Or understand our weakness and temptations. But one who has been tempted. Knowing exactly how it feels to be human. In every respect as we are. Yet without committing any sin. One who is an infinite king. Yet an incredible friend. And Savior, who possesses a level of understanding of what you're going through when you come to that throne of mercy and grace. Who's literally able to look you in the eyes and say, I feel your pain. I know what you're going through. Nothing you can say is going to surprise me. I've lived it. I've been in your shoes. So come boldly. Pour out your heart. What an honor it is this morning to have the ear of the king. Band, I wonder if you can come back for me, please. What a beautiful thing it is to feel this complete freedom to come into God's presence. A complete freedom to come into his presence. You know, as we close in worship, I just want to say this. We have this confident boldness that we're talking about. Friends, because of the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, the Amplified Version says, full freedom and confidence, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water.
we have confidence, full freedom and confidence to enter the most holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. So I can say to you this morning as the band begin to play, you mustn't throw away your confidence because your confidence isn't in yourself. It's in Jesus. And you possess a privileged access to God that through praise and worship you can approach His throne. You can come into His presence. Into the presence of the merciful, gracious one who wants to help you. Who forgives and covers your sin. Who pours out His favor, empowering and compassion. Who holds us and keeps us together in the storms of life. In our times of need. And as we come, we stand before the King of Kings. And we stand able to pour out our heart before Him in the full confidence that He hears us, that He wants to hear us, that He has all the time in the world for us. And He asks us to trust Him, that His timing is perfect. That his plans are the best. And that he is good. Let us draw near to the throne of grace.